All right, this summer, we're talking twisted scripture. Someone say twisted, right? Taking a good thing and kind of just pulling it enough out of context, moving it around enough so it doesn't quite say what it used to say, right? Um, so our text tonight that's been twisted, Psalm 46.10. Go ahead and pull, pull up that little first bit for me. Be still and know that I'm God. Who's heard that before? Someone say, yep. Okay, if you've heard it before, you know the emotion you're supposed to be feeling with that, right? You're supposed to be feeling, ah, right? Just be still, guys. Hold on, pause just a minute. Can you just be still for a minute? Wow, you're doing great. Proud of you. Be still and know that I'm God. It's supposed to, whenever you see it in these contexts, it's supposed to be like, hey, get your coffee, get your Bible, get your quiet time. It's time to be still, right? Like, it's almost this like hot cocoa moment of like warm fuzzies with Jesus. Maybe this is what you'd call an incredible, incredible piece of Hobby Lobby theology, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's the kind of thing that you walk through Hobby Lobby and you're like, I've heard that's from the Bible, but I don't know what it means what you think it, right? Like, there, these are one of those that's really comforting. But if I asked you, what is Psalm 46 about? You might have not a single clue, right? Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a really nice idea, but, but here's what happens. We take a, a really good idea and then we start putting it up in our living rooms or our, our mugs across the nation, we forget what it really means. Here, here's one example. Um, this, show me that first picture, this classy modern farmhouse piece. Look at that. Wow. Hey, if your name's Karen and your, your aspirations live in a suburb, this is for you, okay? Now, I looked, I Googled, be still, whatever, and, and about 50 of these from the same Etsy company came up, okay? So if you really want your hands on one, um, that right there, right? They didn't even put the dot, dot, dot to show you there's a little more to the verse. It's just that. Be still and know that I'm God. I don't know how everyone has that same font, but somehow they all use that same lettering, right? They all took the same YouTube class. I don't know what's going on, but they got it. Okay. Uh, the next one is actually my personal favorite. Look at that. Yep. That's me in my quiet time right there, guys, right? I don't know why it's the back position, but yeah, look, at it's majestic. You guys are like, the bros are like, the bro pad needs this, you guys. I've got to put this up in our living room. Look at that stallion. That's my spirit animal, right? Right where I have my quiet time, that, that horse is there, right? Uh, that costs like $75, way more than it should. Yup. Okay. Take a picture of your own horse, I guess. I don't know. Um, if you really want your quiet time to be special, though, this classy number is for you. Go ahead and show me, show me that. Look at that. Only $10 on eBay. You can have your quiet time while reading this verse and drinking your coffee. It's the total package. You could buy all three of these pieces together for under $150 and your quiet times would be next level, right? Okay. W one thing I want to point out, in, in all three of these things you could buy, they didn't include the, the little ellipses, the dot, 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 to say there's more going on in this verse. The verse doesn't actually stop at be still and know that I'm God. And again, when you get to the context, you start to, you start to see that something's a little bit different than the stallions in the modern farmhouse and the mug because Psalm 46 that this comes from is, is about battle. It's about war. It's about desolations. It's about earthquakes. It's about cataclysms. There's, there's a lot going on in this psalm that doesn't seem to be captured by the um, flowery whatever's going on in this mug right here. How are you supposed to be still 
when the problems that you're facing in the world are huge. Like, like check it out. You could buy that mug with the best intentions or put anything else up with the best intentions and fight to have your quiet time and, and fight to get into it. And then, and then you go out in the world and it's like, wait a second, there's a pandemic still going on, right? It doesn't feel like it in Iowa because we're all back to business, I guess. Y'all are terrible social distancing. Let's be real, okay? I mean, for real. Like, there's a lot of social distance right in that row, I guess. But, but also, like, you guys know there, there's this conflict, this, this tension in our country about true justice, people being oppressed and, and, and people being attacked. And, and I was talking with a police officer in our church today where he's a good dude that loves Jesus. And he's like, man, I don't know what to do right now. I was talking to another buddy who leads one of our salt network churches. He directs salt company in Minneapolis. And he's like, dude, I don't know what to do right now. Right. But I don't know if reading on my mug, be still, know that I'm God, can really solve the issues I'm dealing with. Because I'm trying to be really still and I get out in the world and it's really hard. Thank you. One amen. And, and, and beyond the world, beyond the national scene, beyond whatever, like you have some crap going on in your life, right? I don't know you, but you probably got some junk going on. Maybe it's that sin struggle that you've been fighting for so long and, and the moments that you're still, you're just worried you're going to go back to that again. I was talking to a super good dude this week who um, he's been following Jesus for a long time and he can't seem to quit porn. He knows the Bible. He loves Jesus and he doesn't want this. And yet in his moments of trying to be still and quiet, old images and old struggles come back to mind. Maybe it is a sin pattern in your life that you're like, I don't know how being still solves this thing. Or maybe it's your family. Like you, you, you've been back around your family and that's not a still place. No matter how long of a quiet time you have, you come back and there's tension, there's division, maybe there's divorce, like, like deep patterns of hurt. I don't know how be still works when it comes to solving the issues out there and solving the issues in here, right? So it's all great for Hobby Lobby to put it up, but what do we actually do with it? Like when we, when we skim over the surface of the verse to have it be kind of a, a nice little hot cocoa moment, we actually miss the depth and power of what God really has for us. How are you supposed to be people who know how to be still and stay engaged in the mission of God. There are people around the world that are dying without the hope of the gospel. How does me being still help that? How does it deal with our fear or our anger or stress or anxiety? Y'all feeling that with me? Okay, it's good to be still, but how do I actually do this in a way that, that deals with the stuff in the world? Psalm 46 is actually going to be way more relevant even than the stallion poster, you guys. I know that's hard to believe, okay? But let's let's go there together. If you got a Bible, go to Psalm 46. If you don't know where that's at, that's okay. Table of Contents is your best friend. Psalms is this ancient poetry songbook thing for the people of Israel. Like they, they actually would publish their songs together in this big old book and, and they would sing them together at different times. 
So maybe it was like public feasts or celebrations, but they would, they would sing this stuff. What we're going to do is we're actually going to just take it verse by verse, like song lyrics and walk through and go, what is this saying? What's the picture here? What is this saying? And when we get down to verse 10, we're going to have a better grasp of what, what it actually means for you to be still with all the stuff going on and how that, how that helps us solve our problems. Does that sound good? Okay. Psalm 46. One low key here too. Okay. Here's your Hebrew poetry lesson. You ready? Turn on, like put on your thinking cap, whatever. Um, Hebrew poetry is a little bit different than our poetry. I don't know the last time you read poetry, but you listen to songs before, right? A lot of the time, songs work with rhyming. Okay. Unless you're Post Malone, then it's like better now, better now. Not around, better now, right? Like you could just say the same thing again. But um, they they would actually do that same kind of thing by repeating the same line and and upping it a little bit, or they would do the opposite. Okay, that's kind of how they would work out poetry. It was a little bit different in their culture than us. We're gonna see that as we go through this, but we'll just walk through it together. Psalm forty-six, starting in verse one, it says, "God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble." God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in our trouble. Maybe you have a footnote on very present help. Some of that is just like, he's been our tested help, right? He's here with us and he's been proved. God is our help. But someone say the word trouble. This song is about being in trouble and needing help, right? You don't go talking about how God is your help unless you need help, right? God is present and he's a refuge. He's a strength. Verse two, therefore, because of who God is, because he's been tested, because he's our strength, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swell. We will not fear, verse 2 says, right? Your, your emotions are affected by who God is. There, there's a change from the head knowledge you have about who God is to the heart reality living out. Emotions are affected. He says, even though the earth give way, that's not a little thing, right? Like it's an earthquake. Like the earth you're standing on starts to shift and move. You can't even trust what your feet are standing on. Though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea. He ends verse three with um, this word selah. Someone say selah. That's ancient Hebrew for like pause, reflect, think. Let it let it ruminate a little bit. Let it kind of. Let it kind of boil up in you a little bit. See what comes out, right? Like, mm, what's coming out when I say law on this thing, okay? Let's say law for a minute on, on this picture of the whole earth being moved and shaken, but God being refuge. Like, he, he talks about the mountains trembling, like the heart of the sea. Anyone been to the heart of the sea? Not lately, right? Okay, I've been sailing on McBride. There's no heart of the sea there, okay? You can see the other side from everywhere. Um, Maybe you're familiar with mountains. Who's been to Colorado? Okay. Iowans, for some reason, love Colorado, right? And, and if we hadn't been to Colorado, some of us, if you didn't, I'm so sorry. You're going to miss this whole part. That's great. Um, this, this really wouldn't work in Iowa because it's like, wow, the mountains and the sea. And we're like, the plains, the river, right? Though the field goes to the river. Like, it doesn't have the same effect, okay? But um, freshman year of college, I had this buddy named RJ. And RJ was the dude. Okay, RJ came to Christ at the skate park. This dude came over and shared the gospel with him. It was awesome. Um, RJ was the guy that you want to be friends with because he was a little bit crazy and he would have adventures, right? 
he like worked on one of the Transformers movies as a programmer after a, a designer after call, like just random stuff. I don't know why he did that, but he just went to California and came back. Um, so RJ and I worked together at a coffee shop. We didn't do a lot of work, but we hung out at a coffee shop. And um, one time RJ's like, hey, I got this buddy, Joel. Uh, Joel's a really tall, skinny guy. Um, Joel's driving to Colorado. And uh, this other guy's family has a cabin and me and Joel are going to the cabin. Do you want to come with? when i don't know dude like next week let's go okay rj let's go okay um that starts to roll around and rj's like hey man i can't go anymore and i've already committed i've taken work off and joel and i like i don't know joel but we start talking and so joel and i talk and we're like well we don't know each other but we both want to climb a mountain so let's go right here's the deal i closed up the coffee shop one night late and joel closed up the bar he was working at late and we both hopped in his car around 11:30 at night and drove to colorado so we got to know each other by trying to stay awake at like two in the morning i end up driving his like parents suv 99 miles an hour in the mountains trying to stay with bad news bears but we end up going to climb a mountain okay all right so we're, we're climbing mount elberts mount elbert is the tallest mountain in colorado tallest like this side, I think, of the west of America or something. I looked it up, but tallest mountain in Colorado. Colorado's got a lot of mountains. Elbert's the tallest. Been there, right? Joel and I are going to climb this thing. And Joel's a very tall dude. He's built like a rock climber. Um, very tall dude. Sometimes struggle to climb mountains because they can't breathe so well, right? Not me. God designed me to be a little short and squat, ready to go. I can breathe fine. Joel was huffing and puffing and bent over double. <gasps> He couldn't like halfway up the mountain. He had to just turn around and walk by himself down while I'm like hiking up uh, with the dude named G whose house I was staying at. Didn't know him either. But so me and G get to the top of Mount Elbert, right? There are a few things in life that make you feel sweeter than climbing the top of the, call, the tallest mountain in Colorado, right? And looking out over all of it and be like, I am here. I have walked this mountain. There's no real climbing. It's mostly walking, but I've done it, right? I have accomplished this. But after the moment where you, where you stop feeling like a big deal because you're a small man on a tall mountain, um, after that, that moment, you start to look around and you go, oh, this, is, this place is big, right? This is really big. And when I look at where I just came down, I'm not very big. In fact, there's some points along the way where you look over the edge and you're like, oh, that's a big drop. And if I fell down there, I would die. Like, I'm not okay. I feel less secure about my like you. What, what the psalmist is trying to say is like, picture yourself. Maybe you haven't been to a mountain, but, but the tallest building you've been to the top of, you look around and everything looks small and you feel big. And then all of a sudden you realize, no, you're still like really small. And the world is a very big place. Imagine that whole world shaking. Like the mountains falling in the sea. In ancient Israel, they were surrounded by mountains and, and the sea was kind of this force of chaos and power. It's like us little people on the top of this mountain, if this mountain shakes, we, we don't stand a chance. The mountains falling into the heart of the sea. It's like, it's like the earth being swept clean like a dirty dish. We would not stand a chance. There's reason to be afraid if things like that go down, but... But verse 2 says, therefore, we will not fear. Why? Why, therefore? Because God, the one who made every mountain, the one who made the seas, he knows the top and the bottom, he knows it all. That God is our refuge, our strength. He's our present 
help him. The biggest kind of cataclysm he can think of, this psalm says he's writing it, he's going, even that I wouldn't be afraid because God is that big. Maybe some of you need to hear that because the news has been making you feel really small and really scared. Like your world kind of shrunk down during this whole COVID thing. You lost some freedom and opportunity and maybe job and maybe you're not sure what college is going to look like. Your world shrunk down and you realize, I'm not that big. God is that big. He is huge. He is over all of it. And, and that truth begins to affect our emotions. Look at verse 4. The next kind of stanza, the next verse of this. He flips real quick to, to another location. He says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Little Bible nerd trivia. When he says city of God, he's talking about usually Jerusalem. There's not a river in Jerusalem. So when he says there's a river that makes glad the city of God, does he just like not know? Did he forget? Right? Like we're from a little river town here, so we kind of get rivers and there's no river here. You don't just make up a river in your city, right? He's he's thinking about this picture of the Garden of Eden as God's city. Like this ideal city, God dwells there with his people. It's not this earthly one. There's, there's a city coming. We'll, we'll get there way towards the end of this message, but um, it's not a, a tangible physical city. It's actually a spiritual reality. right? Because when he says, if the whole earth gives way, he's saying, man, our hope isn't just some walls we find ourselves in. Our hope is a person. It's God. He's our strength. Look at verse 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. This her, that's the city, right? God is in this city and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Okay, if you're waiting for morning to dawn, what time of day is it? Say it loud and proud if you know it. Night. Someone say night. That was a trick question, okay? What's before dawn? It's nighttime, okay? Y'all are smart people, but you got to keep up a little bit, okay? I'm in adult ministry now, so I might play some brand games with you. Um, but listen, I know, kind of a big deal. I've climbed Mount Elbert before. Don't worry about it. Um, but listen, when he says, so God will help her when morning dawns, he's in the night and he's looking forward. He's in the trouble and he's looking forward. And he's going, I know who God is and I'm not right there yet, but I know where we're going because I know him. Now again, you might feel like it's night right now with the, with the stuff that you're going through, but he's pulling his eyes up to look forward based on who God is. Verses 6 and 7, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The nations, that's a political thing, right? The armies of the world, and Israel was a really small kingdom surrounded by really big kingdoms. They were under threat of attack. These nations rage, but they, they totter, they're uneasy. And maybe if you look on the world stage, there are governments that are uneasy, they're tottering, they're on the brink. Like within your lifetime, new countries have been formed and governments have fallen. Even political systems, they're not stable, they totter. God utters his voice in the earth. Melts. I kind of don't know how to think about that because the last thing I saw melt was like butter on my counter, right? You know, 
it's hard to imagine the entire earth melting. But I almost think of like, maybe, um, maybe you have memories of like getting a really good hug and you just melt it. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's some people that give very good hugs. They're good huggers, okay? You don't like, don't spread that around that someone's a good hugger because it starts to get weird because people are like, I heard you're a good hugger. Will you hug me? No, that's weird, right? But if someone's a good hugger, you almost melt in their arms. And if you haven't experienced a good hugger, I'm so sorry for you, but I will not tell you the good huggers in my life, okay? Because that will get weird. But but a good hugger, like, you just melt. Oh, you relax. Like, you're, I, okay, a guy you don't know, his name's Eric. Eric's a big dude. Eric's a big dude. Um, Eric gives good hugs, and you're just enveloped. You're like, wow, I'm safe, Eric. Thank you, buddy, right? Just two bros hugging it out. I get it. Like, like melting relaxing or in this when he's talking about these kingdoms it's like hey you're just gonna cool down for a minute all of this pent up energy and rage and anger no 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 just calm down when god utters his voice the earth melts when he speaks he's a speaking god things happen realities affect verse 7 says the lord of hosts is with us um Lord of hosts. That's one of those weird Bible phrases that you probably read a million times. You never thought about it, right? Like, is he the best host around? Like, go to God's house, right? No. A host is like a big army. In fact, a more literal translation is like the Lord of the armies of heaven. So again, we're talking military terms, the armies of heaven against these nations that are coming after God's people. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Salem. What's a fortress? It's not just a mode you play in your video game, okay? Um, a fortress is a, a military stronghold, right? Not just a castle, because when we think castles, we think like Disney princesses, whatever. Like, it's beautiful. It's nice. No, no, no. This is like this is like where battles happen, where you go to get away from the enemy. God is a fortress. There's military connotations. If you're a nerd and you like um, uh, Lord of the Rings, Helm's Deep is a fortress. That's where we go when trouble's coming our way. The God of Jacob is our fortress, not a location, not a place, but a person. God is our fortress. Let's look at the last stanza, the last like verse of this, this poem, this song. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations to the earth. Come, like come look, come check this out. There's a missionary implication. But he's not saying, come look at how nice God is. Come look at how sweet God is. Come, God's the best hug giver, right? Come, see the works of the Lord. He has brought desolations, devastations. God has done big and powerful things. There's an aspect of God that is almost like, like it could be scary to worship him because he is so big and powerful and we are so small. It's really great when we talk about God being love and mercy. That's true, but he's also huge and scary. That's that weird tension, right? Like we, we love him and we fear him at the same time. Come check him out. He's incredible. He's huge. He's powerful. What does he do with his power? When it says he's brought desolations, verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. There's a lot of unrest in the world. 
I have a buddy who's in the military and he, he told me a little bit back like, hey man, just so you know, I might be going to a really hot country I can't tell you about. You ever have a friend like that? Where it's like, they want you to know, but they can't tell you, so they're gonna tell you, it's a very hot place, bro. Going to like, just be ready, right? I had a couple friends like that and I had a, a good friend who um, we, we actually met in Salt Lake and he was um, doing medical stuff with the military on the Horn of Africa. And we would just talk on the phone every once in a while, right? And he's running missions into areas where there's like terrorist groups operating and he's like providing medical services for people. It's this crazy deal. And we would just talk about the, the stress of that where he's trying to go and help and serve and love and be like a force and a presence for, for good and the people trying to kill him. And it's this international mission we're all working together. When I read verses like this, I just think of my buddies. And it's like, man, I want God to make wars cease the end of the earth. Like I want, I want battle to be done. I want militaries to not be necessary because God speaks and he he breaks the bow. He burns the chariots. Like he he ends the battle. Done. So it's in the context of the battlefield. It's in the context of God showing up and doing that, that, that first time comes, right? Remember, modern farmhouse, put it on your wall, put it on your mug. Like, that's the context where verse 10 shows up. Let's read the whole verse together. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Who's God talking to in this? Who, who is the audience that God is speaking to? As I read this and study this, I think he's actually talking on the battlefield. He's like at the fortress, there's the battle in front, and he says, be still. A, a literal translation of this is like, drop it. Like, drop your sword, drop your weapon, give up, stop raging, be still. He says, I will be exalted. Someone say exalted. Okay, that's not something you use in your everyday life, right? You don't go down the street and be like, what an exalted pizza place this is, everyone, right? When you see a Bible word that you're tempted to just kind of read over, like you've heard it a million times, like stop and ask, what does this mean, okay? To be exalted means to be honored or worshipped. Like a place of exaltation is a place of being set apart in a way that brings praise and honor to someone. God is saying on the battlefield to the armies, fighting him and his people, no, 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 I win. I will come out on top of all of this and let me snap your bow just to show you. You can keep fighting, but I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, I win. So stop before I make you stop. Be still. Verse 11, the, the poem, the song ends with this kind of worship thing that we sing together. The Lord of hosts, this God of armies, he is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We kind of started the psalm with that. We're ending the psalm with that after talking about cataclysms on the earth, all of nature going crazy, and talking about armies attacking the people of God. We can actually sing and worship. And we've heard God declare on the battlefield, no, 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 I win. To the end of the earth, every culture, every country, every people group, God wins in the end. context changes a little bit when you see the whole verse and not just that first part verse 10 right be still and know that i'm god followed up with god actually telling the purpose of that for him to be glorified for him to be worshipped and honored. 
So I'm not saying putting this on a, a mug or a poster is wrong, but I just want to ask, how do we apply this? Like, because I'm also not telling you this verse isn't for you. Actually, I think this really is for us in a really profound way when you get the whole context of the song. Like, how are you supposed to be people that are still and still engaged in the mission of God and still following the heart of God when it comes to justice and mercy and sharing the gospel and fighting sin in your life, especially when we're tempted to be afraid, especially when we're tempted to just be angry like everyone else and lash out in anger like everyone else, or when the, the background noise of your entire life has just been stress and worry and anxiety. How are you supposed to be still? do with this first i just want to tell you this song is this psalm is supposed to be sung and repeated we kind of did that with waymaker actually there's certain things where you start to say over and over again because you want them to be true right what was the last song you had stuck in your head you don't have to sing it out loud but pause for a minute and think about it right you ever have a song is really annoying that's stuck in there true confession time you ready don't whoever's on the internet don't post this whatever all right i trust you guys okay we good? Okay, it was Yummy by Justin Bieber, right? Yummy, yummy. Oh, ugh, it's stuck. Like, it's just in there now, right? I can't get rid of it. I don't want it there. But, it, like, certain songs get stuck in your head. You get that? Right? Okay. You know you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't be embarrassed for me. I'm not embarrassed. I should, Yeah, it's stuck. Right? What was the last song you had stuck in your head? You just, parts of it come and, and it just keeps coming back and you can't get rid of it, right? This psalm is actually kind of supposed to be like that. God is our refuge. It's not as catchy, maybe, right? Put it to music. I don't know. But but this is meant to be sung and repeated. He repeats, God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our fortress. He repeats it because it's supposed to get stuck in your head. We need a fortress because there is a battle. There are disasters. And the God of the Bible isn't scared of that. The God of the Bible isn't ignorant of the real stuff you're going through. But we're supposed to repeat over and over. Actually, God is king. And he wins in the end. And we repeat that until it becomes an earworm stuck in our heads. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this psalm? What do you do with this twisted verse? I actually think you really need this right now. You really need Psalm 4610. Be still. But we need the bigger picture to go along with you. Because again, I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like the mountains are falling in the sea, right? We're living through a freaking pandemic, right? We're living with riots, people getting murdered, with wars around the world and rumors of wars. We're living with this stuff. And again, you have stuff going on in your life that I can't begin to understand. The depth of pain some of you are going through and the secret struggle that you feel like you can't bring up in connection group. Like, maybe you haven't gotten into connection group because you actually don't know how to begin unpacking the stuff in your life. The deep-rooted sin that has you just ashamed and worn out, or the family stuff that you don't even know how to, how to talk about. It's almost just too cheap to say, like, hey, be still, trust God, right? Have another quiet time, think, right? buy a mug, right? That That's too cheap of an answer. We need a better answer than that. But again, that that's actually not an issue with the verse. It's an issue with the depth we've been taking this verse. The original audience of the psalm, they didn't know the whole story like we do. But 
there are actually two places I want to tell you briefly that this is brought up in, in the rest of the Bible. So actually, at the end of the story in Revelation, this plays out. Like Jesus comes on a horse with the host of heaven behind him. The army comes with him. And the enemies of God, they, they get up there, they're ready to do battle, and he just slays them with a word like, done, right? No, bow, gone. Earth, melted. Just melt, right? No, he's a warrior. And there is a final judgment where sin will be judged, where evil will be judged. God wins. And then a new city comes. A city with a river running through it where God will dwell with his people. This psalm is actually talking about the new heavens and new earth that we are looking towards. God has been promising from the beginning he would live with his people. That is true. Game over. End of story. That is hope that you can look towards. He wins. We're, we don't get to see it exactly like that right now, but that is the true end of the story. Sounds amazing, but but sometimes that looking that far ahead can feel like, yeah, what do I do right now? I just want to, last spot right here. This is, track with me, okay? I lost my board when I read this, okay? Um, Mark chapter 4. You maybe read this before. Stick with me. Starting in verse 35. I'm just going to read this. And I want you to tell me if this sounds familiar at all. Jesus is teaching, and then he does one of those crazy Jesus things where he's like, hey, we're going over here, and something happens. On that day after he's taught, when evening came, he said to them, his disciples, let us go across the other side of this, this big lake they're at. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. The original word is mega, like a mega windstorm arose. We're in Mark chapter 4, if you can't find me over there. Yeah, you got me. Okay. A mega windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Right? The, the sea is roaring and raging, and these people are like, we are going to die. Game over. We are small, and this storm is mega. It's big. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. He's asleep. He's passed out. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to care. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care we're perishing? Like, do you not care? Like, we're afraid right now. Stuff is going on. We are dying. Do you not even care? Like, they're not even asking for help. They're just asking, do you care? And again, maybe you've been asking God right now, not even for a specific prayer request, but God, do you even care about what I'm going through and where I've been? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm, a mega calm. There was a mega storm in the same Greek word. There was a mega calm, right? Jesus does what happens in Psalm 46. He says, no, be still. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear, a mega fear and said to one another, who, is, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey? You just know what a rhetorical question is, right? There's no answer after this because they kind of know the answer. Like, who can tell the storm to be quiet and it does that? The guy who made storms. 
Like this is this is no regular teacher. This guy can control the elements and his good Jewish boys. They understood that means he is God. Be still. And it provokes in them a response, no longer fear of the storm, but actually fear of the guy that can calm the storm. And I hope a little bit of peace that they're in the boat with the guy that can calm the storm, right? Yo, you can get a boat with me anytime, man. You got it, okay? Jesus says, peace, be still, and it is still. Just like in Psalm 46, he, God shouts his victory over the nations, and, and the people receiving the psalm, they sing about it. Jesus says, be still to the storm. He's talking to the storm, but he's also kind of talking to people who are right? Actually, when you lean into Psalm 46, you hear God shouting over the battlefield, I will win. He's doing that for you to hear him as well. You need to hear God shout over the battles in this life, in your life, in this world. I will win. Be still. Give up your swords. You can put a bow on it and say the foundation of our peace is God's rule as king. The foundation of our peace is God's rule as king. Let me just apply that real quick to us. For some of you, you don't have peace because you don't know the king. Like you need to surrender. You are part of the nations fighting against God. And you might be dancing around this religion thing, but God wants you to surrender, not just try harder. You need to meet the king that actually wants to be your fortress. And he came in flesh. Jesus is God in flesh. When he says, be still to the storm, he turns and looks at you and goes, hey, are you in the boat with me? Will you let me be your refuge or are you going to try to do it yourself? Surrender. Like that's the word you need to let. Let him be king and you actually be a subject and a good king. And he proved he's a good king by dying for you. The biggest storm in your life is not the pandemic. It's actually your sin and offense against the holy God. You have sinned against God more than anyone has ever sinned against you. And, and I know, I know there are hurts in your life that you're going, yeah, but what about this? What about this? All of your sin actually is an offense to God because he made you, because he loves you, he wants relationship with you, and you stiff on him. You need to surrender and find out he gives really good hugs. And find out actually he paid a great price for you to be his, for you to find him to be your fortress. Not your religious behavior, not your friend circle or your popularity or your future or your grades. He actually is a real fortress. Will you surrender to him? For those of you, you need to actually learn how to be still and let that marinate a little bit. Let that selah in your life a little bit. We are not a very still people. We struggle to be still. We are very good at being distracted, right? I heard this this thing. It's like a Pavlovian response. Y'all know who Pavlov was? Okay, he had the dogs. It's like, ding, ding, salivate. Let's go, right? Okay, if you don't know that, ask Sage about it later. Um, your life has been trained where any hint of boredom, any hint of, of inactivity, that has become a little bell, and you start to look for distraction and entertainment, right? You do this all the time, okay? I do this all the time. It's very hard to have a quiet time when my phone is dinging and going off, right? I'm missing things, right? I'm trying to read even during Salt Company. It's like, oh, um, I mean, TikTok is telling me there's some things to see, so I'm just, uh, just later or now, but later. I'll go to the bathroom. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Right? Like, like 
that happens all the time. You actually need to fight to cultivate some stillness so that you can fight your fear with who God is. Like that's hard work. I, I've talked too long already, but I could go on a ramble about this. You actually need people in your life who are going to help you learn how to be still. That might mean putting your phone away until you reach your Bible. Like get a paper Bible. That might mean picking a day of the week and choosing to have a digital Sabbath. That's not like in the Bible, but that might be really helpful for you where you have no screens and no technology and it's going to be really difficult. Like it's going to be very hard, but it's actually worth it because first you're going to see the fears and the stresses come up in your life. And then hopefully the refrain, the yummy, yummy comes in your head and you go, be still, God, you win the battle. Like this fear, this stress, this anxiety, what am I missing? What's going on? No, no, no. But God wins the battle. Pick one fear or one sin struggle in your life. Pick one, the one that you confessed most recently or you should have confessed. Pick one of those. And if, if you're struggling to find one, ask a friend. Uh-oh, that's scary, right? Pick one that has you stressed out and angry and tied up in knots and allow God to shout, be still over that fear. Like allow him to do that and let him do that often. And again, create space in your life for him to do that through reading your Bible, through set aside times of undistracted prayer, through going for a walk without your phone, but with a, a verse that you're memorizing. Maybe you need to memorize all of Psalm 4610 to be in your heart and your mind. Maybe it means listening to worship music or memorizing scripture or protecting space or especially learning to preach the gospel to each other. It's another message there. The gospel is not the ABC of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. When someone confesses fears and struggles in connection group, you don't tell them it's going to be okay. You tell them Jesus wins. That is hope. That is better. You were very small on the mountain, but I know the one who made the mountain. He loves you. He died for you. There, there's so much to unpack in how you do this, and it is hard work. But I want to leave us actually with, with the clearest thing to do is worship this God. Like we get to stir our emotions based on the truth that we know we need to do the therefore thing of this because we've seen how big God is. You're small and your fears and your worries are very big, but God is bigger. The things you're going through are very real, but God is more real and he wins in the end. So be still. Know that he is God and he will be exalted. He will be praised and worshipped across the whole earth, including in your life. We know the end of the story. We know the one who wins. And imagine if you were a person that actually lived like Jesus wins. Like imagine if that happened. Imagine for a minute the emotion you would feel if you actually went to God as your fortress instead of going to distraction or, or anger or fear. Imagine that. Imagine how attractive that would be to the world around you. Like that, the, the verse in Psalm 46 says, Come, behold the desolations God has done you might actually begin to worship in order people come and ask you what is going on. Or you tell them because you're just singing it to yourself over and over and you say, come look at what God's done in my life. My fear, actually he desolated me. 
my, my struggle with this sin, God actually desolated it. He is so worthy of worship. And this fear, this night that I'm in, I actually know dawn is coming because I know the one who made the dawn too, and he's bringing with him. Your campus needs people like that. Like not just for them. You actually need to be a person like that for your joy and your freedom. And Jesus accomplishes that on the cross for us, and he invites us into that So let's respond with worship because he is worth all of it and more. He will be exalted. Let me me pray for us. Spirit, in this moment, please um, bring to mind the struggle or the sin or the fear that you want to, you want to battle with your truth. Please, Please bring to mind the thing that we actually need to confess in connection group and invite someone else to preach the gospel to. Please bring to mind the, the places that you want us to actually start carving out space to be still. Help us move this truth from our heads that God, you are our refuge, you're our present help, you're tre- tested and proven. Help us move that from our heads to the the spaces of our hearts where we've been afraid and angry and distracted and stressed out. Spirit, please turn our eyes to Jesus so we can begin worshiping. He will be exalted. Jesus will be lifted up and men and women from all across the world will sing. He is worthy. Let that be the refrain of our hearts and our minds starting tonight, going on from here. And help us to fight knowing that you have won the victory. Jesus, we pray all of this for your glory in your name.